Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike, and joining me and Emmett on today's episode are Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer from Chit Chat Money. We have a great episode lined up for you as we get to sit down with the lads, hear their story, what it's like to set up your own fund in your 20s, and they leave us with five stocks they would buy and hold forever. Okay, we have a special episode today. We have the lads over from Chit Chat Money. So Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer are welcoming here on Stock Club. Uh, thanks for having us, lads. And Emmett, you are here as per usual. There's no um, getting rid yeah, of me. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks very much. You talked to me. There's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no point talking to you and you have the guests yeah. on. Uh, but no, lads, thanks for coming on. It's great to have you. Um, how, how are we doing? Where are we calling in from? I am in Seattle, uh, Seattle, Washington. So we've got quite the uh, international broadcast here, if I'm not mistaken. I, uh, uh, we got uh, Brett. Brett, you want to tell them where you're from too? Yeah, I am in Latin America. I'm in Chile. So it looks like we're in multiple continents here uh, for this recording, but we have the beauty of the internet. So it's like we're all in the same room. It's great. I love it. Emmett, where are you calling in from? <laughs> I'm in Sardinia at the minute. I'm in Sardinia in Cagliari. And I'm where I always am, yeah. Mike. I'm in Dublin. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, we're going to kick it off soon, but I wanted to start with uh, our best story of the week, which is the fact that JP Morgan Chase, in a week that has been not so great for banks and their due diligence, uh, it just came out that they bought 5.4 metric tons of rocks uh, for $1.3 million trying to buy nickel. So we're going to kick it off. On a good note there, if you want to kick in on uh, JP Morgan Chase or any of the banking crisis, you can see why it's all going tits up in the minute. Uh, but Emmett, do you want to kick off the lads there and chat about Chit Chat Money? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, lads, delighted to have you on the podcast today, as Mike said, and um, thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about Chit Chat Money's origins what was the kernel of the idea for your podcast and, and what are you trying to achieve on the journey? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll take the the podcast questions. It's, I, I don't think there was like a whole overarching goal at the start. Um, we, we actually initially started the show in college. Um, and for a couple of years there, we didn't have any listeners really. I think maybe our, maybe our moms listened. Um, but really, it was like basically us talking to our uh, talking to ourselves essentially, um, and then it kind of it took over a bunch of different iterations. We we tried a different uh, a couple different show formats, so talking about specific stocks, trying to be the funny finance people, and and really it, it, we finally kind of a, around late 2020 we found sort of our audience and kind of I guess product market fit if you want to call it that where. Um, we, we started researching really stocks, specific stocks for individual shows, basically was kind of the format. And 
that really seemed to resonate with with an audience, and that's kind of when we began to grow. Um, and so, we, just in terms of like show structure, we we have uh, kind of two episodes where it's more like actual drill down, do our research. Um, one of them is us looking into a business kind of for the first time, and then a, another one is where we interview a separate analyst or investor or portfolio manager about a stock they like or a business they like. So that one's more interview style format. Um, and then we have a casual one, which we've actually had a lot of listeners kind of reach out and say they, they enjoyed that format. It feels like they're talking with friends about finance. And so that's, that's actually, if you want to listen to that, we had Emmett on the show not too long ago. Um, so, so for that style, um, it's a little more fun, a little more casual. Um, but I guess in terms of what we're trying to achieve now, and it's definitely changed a couple of times, and Brett, feel free to jump in here if you, if you think there's anything else. But I think ultimately we're trying to be a place where people can, or listeners can discover potential new investments, um, at least on the research side of things. Uh, at, at the worst, we want to be a place where people can just enjoy listening to us and, and talk, listening to us talk about finances. Um, but yeah, we look through a lot of businesses, both both on our own and through interviewing guests. So having listeners think of us as sort of a supplement to their own investing process um, is is a kind of, I think that's right where our sweet spot is. Would you say that's right, Brett? Yeah, I would describe it as we're trying to open source our research process for investing. We're also forcing ourselves to do research ourselves in, uh, you know, researching one stock a week having it as a scheduled recording that can really force you to, okay, we're going to look at this stock this week. Next week, we're going to do this one. And you can't just procrastinate as you might do if you're just researching yourself. We have the audience that expects us to go through a company. And then what's great, and you know we're still not a giant show, so we don't get tons of people interacting with us. But for the few people that do, we can get feedback from them, thoughts from them. If they know a company well, it can be helpful to get their knowledge or expertise if they've been covering it for five or 10 years. And then we hope that through our research process, we can provide our listeners kind of a way to discover new investments as well to make it, you know, a free way where, okay, we're, we covered, say, some big tech companies. You don't really know their business models before. After listening to the show, you understand the basics and you can kind of go further with your research process. So we want to make it an open, kind of an open source podcast version of a uh, Oh, uh, I one source someone has for part of their research process. So, what is the underlying strategy of your investments, and and on that process, what what is the process that you use to support your strategy? So, the I think the strategy or the research process, I should should say, changes, I guess, or is slightly different from the podcast to the fund. So, with the podcast, it's more really the goal is to kind of turn over a new rock every week and assess whether it's kind of the top of the funnel. If if you think about it as like starting the research process to owning a business, um, it's kind of the top of the funnel. So basically at the end of the week, our goal is to assess whether or not we're more or less interested in the, in the, a given business. And so we actually, we make it pretty simple for ourselves. We lay out a number of questions essentially that we have to answer and, and depending on the business that might take, you know, a week of research. It might take an hour of research. Um, some are obviously more complex than others. Uh, but we basically just, I'll, I'll lay out sort of the, 
the questions we answer. What's what's the business do? Try to explain it in as simple terms as I can. Um, what's the history of the business? What's sort of the industry, the competitors? Who, who are the management team? Who owns the business? The earnings, the balance sheet, any experience we have with like the product or the company, um, and then kind of the future. Where, where do we think they can go? What do we like? What do we dislike about the business? Um, and then by the end of, and then we also do like a bull and bear case. What could go wrong? What could go well? Or what could go poorly? Um, that kind of thing. And so uh, usually by the end of those questions and and kind of uh, discussing with, with Brett, uh, we get a good sense of whether or not this is the kind of thing that's in our wheelhouse and, and whether it's an investment we want to look into further. Um, and so that's when we hit the more or less interested. And if we're more interested, you know, maybe one day we end up owning it, but it's really kind of the top of the research process. Um, and then uh, I guess as far as strategy or, or ethos goes, I think we're more, I would say we're value oriented and we've probably become more value oriented over our short careers, but it, we're not just looking at multiples and trying to pick the cheapest thing we find. I would say we put a lot of emphasis on business quality because it, it's almost like protection against our own kind of, uh, I don't want to say ignorance, but maybe like naivete. Um, because if, if we're, at least if we're right on, if we're wrong on our financial model or we're, we're wrong on, you know, whatever the short-term results could be, if, if we're right that the business is, is durable and, and is, um, competitively advantaged in some way. And then that we're right that the management team isn't like they have high integrity and they're competent. Um, it's kind of a protection because we know it, it should be around for a long time and could eventually grow into evaluation. So I'd say that's kind of the ethos is we, we want to find really high. It's the same ethos. I think everyone says where we want to find high quality advantaged mm-hmm. businesses that are trading at a reasonable price. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's kind of the focus. Do you have a handle yet on what your average holding period is? Because you just mentioned you've a relatively short career. I think you said uh, to date, but have you got an intended hold period or are you going a pure value investment insofar as that you buy shares in Acme bricks at $5 and when they hit $7, no matter what you're going to sell. And if it happens next week, you're selling, or do you have that kind of very long-term uh, mindset? It's uh, an ideal world. We, we hold the, an investment forever, uh, but it, we kind of model or, or we, pro- we project um, or estimate the earnings out usually three to five years. Um, and then it's kind of, obviously you want to own something forever, but if it, uh, you want to constantly kind of check and update to make sure it's, you were right about the business. And so, uh, I would say our, our holding period in theory may have been longer than our holding period in practice so far. Mm, um, yeah. but it's been, uh, most of the stuff we've owned, um, for, for a long time and we've continued to kind of up, update our, our thinking and update our thesis and um, we've been able to uh, really kind of be in that never sell approach there are instances where um, we'll we'll do stuff where it is kind of short-term focused or, or that we're expecting something to happen um, in sort of a shorter time frame uh, but that's really kind of a minority percentage of our our, our holdings Brett would you say that's the same yeah, I'd agree with that, uh, which I hope is true because me and you know, Ryan and I run a <laughs> conjoined strategy here. But the one thing I think any listeners take away is that we don't 
aim for any sort of portfolio turnover. So we try not to restrict ourselves either to say we're going to be so active or we're not going to be so active. I'd say on average, our portfolio turnover is probably around 20% per year, but we're not setting that as some sort of target where certain years, like maybe 2022, we were a bit more active where there's a lot more it was one of those years where a lot of things happened. So we realized some of the businesses we owned were not as good as we you know, thought they were. Um, and we're also not afraid to turn, you know, turn something over or excuse me, uh, take something out of the portfolio if we find a better idea. So that's kind of our two. There's basically two criteria for when we'll sell something. One, when we think that another idea is significantly better than the current idea. And that's really also after tax. So when you sell when we sell something, we have to take into consideration the tax lot or excuse me, the taxes that'll be there. And then second, if we realize after a significant time period, and usually it's going to take multiple years for us to realize this because we know, as we all know, one quarter does not, you know, make or break a company, then we'll sell it. So that's kind of the mm-hmm. two criteria we have for turning over something. And we li- limit um we limit our diversification to, I guess this is one of the only constraints we put on ourselves is we want to limit our diversification to around 15 companies because if we're running a concentrated strategy for outside investors, and this is really more of the strategy for the fund, we don't want something that is just going to replicate the index because we understand that investors are going to be able to get that for free. Or, you know, yeah, essentially. Yeah, for sure. It's very, very hard to commit to a I will never sell this approach because changes trust upon you, whether a stock is whipped from your portfolio through an acquisition like iRobot being acquired by Amazon or the thesis changes, uh, you identify something that was flawed in your original um, strategy analysis. It's very, very difficult to commit to holding a portfolio of stocks, quote unquote, forever, you know. Never sell until you need to sell. That's yeah, <laughs> that's right. And how have they, how have they fared? How have your investments fared um, since, uh, like, how's your strategy played out now? No, it, I presume it hasn't had a long runway yet. Uh, in fact, how long has the runway been and how, you know, on the big picture, have your investments played out? So it's been approximately two years, I think, what, one month? Mm. Say two years. It's only been one month. Tough over time two to years start. Here. Yeah, right. it, that was an unfortunate time to start. And yeah. Well, we made some mistakes that we shouldn't have made. Uh, just focused on buying stuff that was, you know, in hindsight, very overvalued. Um, however, if we look at our returns, we're slightly underperforming the index. I, to be mm-hmm. honest, we, I try not to bog down and and look at the numbers constantly and what the returns are because I know that we kind of got to look at it, you know, on a quarter by quarter basis and really extend it out because that's what we've talked about with our clients. And that's what we talked about our strategy is. And we have to really, you know, we're saying that's what our strategy is going to be, focusing on at least a three-year time horizon, if not longer, for our investments. We have to, if we're going to say that to outside investors, say that to the world, put that on our website and talk to clients about that, we have to internalize that ourselves. So, yeah, so far the performance hasn't been great, but we're, um, it hasn't been terrible. It was so, a you know, brutal it's, time yeah. to start. I mean, honestly, you can only start when yeah. you can start. I mean, we only live once and you, the sooner you start, the better. So really, you know, you didn't, there was no error in judgment on your behalf. As far as I'm concerned, the market was where it was two years ago. 
the assets that we had to choose from were available two years ago. And we've just gone through quite an unusual 24 plus months. So at least you guys are in the springtime of your investing career and you can commit to a 30 plus year runway ahead. So the last two years, it really, it's like two weeks. It really shouldn't matter. We hope it's yeah, just hope. a quick and uh, we hope it's a not too long and not too expensive uh, investment education that <laughs> the last two years can be a great time to, you know, to, to be a good education. Yeah, for some, but yeah, Ryan, anything to add there? Some, I, I just, yeah, like you said, I, uh, maybe hopefully it's a inexpensive lesson, but uh, like kind of Emmett mentioned, if we do this for long enough, hopefully it's a. Uh, it's a blip um, and, and not very noticeable and, and we're right about the businesses long term. Mm. I want to hear a bit about Arch Capital and how you ended up setting it up. I know we talked about the timing, which is unfortunate, but for two 20-somethings, I'm assuming, um, to set up a fund pretty much almost straight out of college. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I'm slightly older than Ryan. Interesting, yeah. yeah. So I imagine there's an interesting origin story there. Yeah, I can talk about it. It's nothing too crazy. And yes, we did end up opening in February 2021. So right at the peak of the growth, maybe we'll call it a bubble. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, really nothing too crazy. Ryan and I talked about it a while back while running the show in college. We said we'd probably want to try to do something like this someday. And then what's funny enough, the only, I guess, (laughs) interesting part of this story is in 2020, I was out on the Pacific Crest Trail, which is a super long through hike where you're not really in any cell service or you're in cell service very you know not very often and then i got a call from ryan and brady who's his brother saying that they wanted to or they had the idea to start up the fund now and they thought you know all three of us could go and do it can join jointly as basically all three of us being the, the co-founders of the fund um i don't know if this was during the peak of the quarantine when they were just bored and that's why the idea was there but we had started about it you know it's talked about it before and then Really, you know, we just set up the initial documents. We had to, given our budget, go the, let's call it economical route and try to set it up basically, really, because, you know, a lot of investment funds out there will have a starting budget of hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and we're nowhere near that. So we had to kind of go for the, um, I don't want to say cheap version because that's the wrong way to describe it. We think that there's really no disadvantage we have versus any of the larger funds, but it's really just us and ourselves and the public resources we would have as an individual investor. And then after that, by February 2021, that's when we opened. We got a few initial clients for family and friends. And that's here we are today. Really, our thinking was when opening and opening up the fund is if we want to be professionals in this industry someday, we need to start our own track records at some point because that's the way really, you're able to raise outside capital. So why not do it as early as possible? Uh, we thought tossing ourselves into the mix and learning and getting, you know, we'll get much better that way than if we were an analyst at some bank or, or somewhere else, which to be, you know, it's not like a bad gig or anything like that. But we thought that was the best route for us. If we wanted to do our own thing within the industry. Ryan, am I missing anything from the founding store? Because it's pretty, it's pretty simple. It, yeah, it is. And I, I, I'll, uh, I'll steal one of Emmett's first rules. If, you know, if you're thinking about it, uh, it really just it, it seems very overwhelming um, when you're when you're not doing it. But just start. Um, you, you really kind of take the steps to actually start. And 
to be honest, we we did not know specifically every step to establishing a fund, and it was it was fairly costly. But uh, I mean, it, you really can uh, you really can take things step by step and start that way. The other thing I'd add, and Brett, you may talk about the fee structure here as well, is we, we had a number of I guess family and friends that had expressed interest in us helping with their investments in some way, and so this was kind of one of the easier routes, I think, to kind of consolidating that, you know, if we were going to help a number of people out, maybe just do it in one fund, run it as one strategy, kind of clean, have it, have one clean audited tra- track record. Um, and so that, that was part of, I guess, the reason for the Genesis too, um, was we did have some interest to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My friends and family have just stopped asking, they started asking me to stop talking about investing around the <laughs> You've got the opposite to us. Uh, yeah. But you mentioned the unique fee structure there, and I want you to dive into that a bit more. I was very interested to see that on your site. Yeah, so we do have a unique fee structure, and I would first state that the reason we came about this is because we are not financial advisors. We're not wealth managers. That's not what we're offering to any of our potential clients. So our value is purely on the returns that we're going to say either have or not or what level they're going to be over an extended time period and given that our clients are going to be either mm, wealthier individuals or you know families with excess saving excess savings uh, something like that the index fund returns are kind of almost always the target for those sort of people where if you look at a say an endowment fund or someone managing a pension it's probably it might be different and they might want a different fee structure and a different strategy. So, since those are that's our target audience, and since that's who we are as investors, you know, we're not wealth managers, we're not you know financial advisors going through the emotional and psychological things with people. And since index fund returns are free for all investors, our thought is that if we're going to market ourselves as someone that provides value to these individuals and families, we should only receive compensation if we beat the index, and that's why we decided we should only take fees or excuse me, take no fees below index returns on an annualized basis and then have no management fees as well. Um, and we only take performance fees in excess of index performance. And you can look at the details on the website. And if you have any questions on that, we'd, uh, we can go through the details, but we only take a 33% performance fee in excess of index returns on an annualized basis. I think the big question is, is what index do you track? And that is the big downside with this strategy versus a pure say, nominal performance hurdle where you go, okay, over 6% returns, we get 25% or something like that, which is a perfectly fine uh, fee structure to have as well. Uh, And we, you know, we looked at it, we looked at a few different ones, and we think given that, one, our client base is basically all in the United States, two, the S&P 500 index is the one most cited, the most used by individuals, and the one that has... I guess it still has a high hurdle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably the most common target among our client, our target clients, which would be again, those individuals and families with excess savings. We decided to choose the S and P 500 total return index. And the reason we decided to do this and we thought at least researching from other people who started funds, they said that picking your, at least fee structure and how you're structuring the fund is very important at the start because there's a lot of friction in changing that. So we really thought about it 
strongly and we wanted something that would align us over the long term with our target client base. And that's what we come up with, came up with. We're by no means saying that this is the perfect fee structure and that someone that runs a flat based fee or someone that runs something else is wrong. But that's just what works for us and what we think will work for us over the long term. Yeah. Let me add part of the reason we're able to do this. And if you've ever thought about becoming an emerging manager or anything like that, um, this might not be the fee structure for you is because our podcast, the, the Chit Chat Money podcast, um, generates ad revenue. And so that's that that's given us the flexibility to make money elsewhere. If you're only running um, a fund as your primary income source, it's it's essentially a risky structure because and it might not have been perfectly clear, but basically we we only make money on the fund ourselves if we outperform the index for our investors. And um, so far we haven't done that. So we we haven't made any money from the fund ourselves. Um, and so we, uh, it might not work for everybody. The other thing that Brett mentioned, um, he said we're not wealth managers. We are not holistic wealth managers. So we're not managing people's entire like retirements, their estates or anything like that. We want our investors essentially to treat us almost like an investment, like an investment in an ETF or something like that, where they're they're investing in us for kind of hopefully our capital allocation prowess at, at some point. Um, but it, uh, it it's, it's more on the concentrated side. So um, basically, it's friends and family that took a chance on us. So we don't want to take money from them unless they're rewarded for doing so. No, I love that. And there's loads of studies done as well about the cost of uh, management fees and basically hamstringing any kind of compounding returns. So you're exactly. basically saying until until there's returns there, we're not getting in the way of it. Um, I just want to talk then because we talked about the timing the last two years and everything. So what's the outlook from March Capital for 2023 and beyond? And what are your kind of views on the current market? Do you expect to see a bit more joy this year than last year? What What's what's the kind of the 13 mile view at the minute? Yeah, so. I want to, as a full disclosure, say that we are not really uh, top-down, I guess, investors, if, if you want to describe it that way. Well, we're not really thinking too much about what the market will do, but I think it's important to look at what the opportunities are out there and what the opportunities the market is giving you. And I think, from my perspective, and Ryan can add on his takes as well, is there will be plenty of opportunities throughout 2023, as really there are right now, at the start of 2023 to extend your time horizon while everyone else's is are shrinking because maybe the time to uh, not extend your time horizon was in February, 2021 when we started. But I think right now with a lot of people panicking, we're seeing a lot of people worried about the fed inflation and all this stuff every single week, really every single day. And people are worried about, Oh my gosh, what, what, what is this stock going to look like a month from now? Well, that if you if you follow that you're following the herd and the only way to outperform over the long term is to not follow the herd and not invest like them. So I think mm. this is the perfect timing to extend your time horizon. But on a more general basis, I think when we look at our philosophy for investing, buying competitively advantaged companies at cheap multiples of their forward cash flow with rational management teams will if you're good at that, and again, it that's 
doing that is harder than it sounds. Um, it will do well over the next three to five years as it will in any marketing. Uh, I, now, I, uh, oh, go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. I was going to bring it back to the pod, your podcast fellas. And I was going to, um, uh, kind of change gear a little and ask you who was your most interesting guest and what did you learn from them? And even by extension, what stock idea was brought to you by a guest that otherwise you wouldn't have encountered, but you ended up really loving? Yeah, well, uh, I'll say Emmett was a favorite guest, uh, but I don't, I, I want to add someone else to say that, right? Don't worry. Uh, we're still, we're still going to publish the podcast. Don't worry. You're not a, you're not a hostage here. No, yeah. I, I will say Emma there's who? been, right. There, uh, th- there are a number of people that have become recurring guests that are like friends of the show where, mm. I mean, they're now friends in real life. And so we've learned kind of just like a number of lessons through them because we can just like bounce ideas off them off the mm. show. Um, so there, there was some value there, but I, I guess if I had to pick one and I'm not, you know, uh, we've interviewed hundreds of people, so uh, I'm sorry if I'm not including you, but I got to pick one. Um, I'm going to go with Bob Roboti. Um, Bob is the chief investment officer at Roboti and Company. Um, it, w- it, it was a fund that f- uh, focuses a lot on kind of old economy companies. Um, and so this year, actually, they had a lot of energy exposure and they did really well, um, unlike a lot of uh, other funds, which... Uh, like ourselves, most, maybe. Most, yeah, like ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a lot to learn from I, that. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that probably impressed me the most is that Bob started investing in the '70s, and he's an older gentleman. He, you, you would never know it. Uh, he had probably the most energy and enthusiasm of anyone we've maybe ever had on the show. Like he was so excited to talk investing. Um, which is just, I, I guess it, it was kind of inspiring for, for someone his age. You can just tell he found, he found what he loves to do and, and you can hear it in his voice. And mm. he came on and he pitched a company called Sub C7. It's an offshore energy company. And I guess on top of everything else, he's a really, really good investor. He serves on a number of boards. Um, you can just, you know, the depth of his knowledge, you can just hear it right, uh, right when you listen to him. So um, I thought he was fun and kind of inspiring to listen to. That's great. Um, and I love that because really it's that kind of, what is that uh, old expression of uh, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life again. And clearly I think the four of us here on this podcast and by extension, our listeners know that investing is a pursuit that allows you to just better yourself, not just economically, but like your understanding of the world and people and industries and businesses. It, it's really, really exciting to be a stock investor. And it's lovely to hear that that man you mentioned, Bob Ro- Roboti, is it? Yeah, Roboti, Bob yeah. Roboti. Yeah. Bob Roboti uh, has been at it for 40, 50 years, and that's great. I must look him up. Um, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mike? Wait a minute there. Yeah, I was just going to say, let me get the promo in. Um, this is your weekly reminder, if you haven't already, to sign up to our newsletter, Charging and Fearless. It's a free email in which you receive a brand new stock pitch every week. We promise it'll be the most valuable 30 seconds you spend in your inbox. This week's email is carrying the subject line, an electrifying Swedish prospect. Ryan and Brett, do you want to plug anything while we're here? <laughs> uh, I'd say sign the, the best place to find us and track the show and kind of, you know, see if we have any interviews or analysis shows that you might be interested in is to subscribe to our Substack as well. You just search Chit Chat Money. And that's, again, a free email newsletter for people aren't, who aren't aware of Substack. And we or, send out... Or look up the podcast. Yeah. And you can get the tracking there or you can look up the podcast on either YouTube, Spotify or Apple go scroll through everything and you can see any interviews or anything like that that you might be interested in we have hundreds of episodes over the last few years covering a variety of different stuff there you go let's chit chat money okay um i want to ask you a question now because i imagine it's something you faced maybe so far and that's if you felt much pushback or even received criticism around your ages uh do you get to call too young often because it's not that common to see two lads your age already at this stage and have their own fund yeah i want that ha- insult by the way i really really do lament that insult you're too young <laughs> <laughs> the uh yeah i mean it, it's nice to hear that sometimes even if people say that because the uh it means that say you know it through gritted teeth i imagine yeah the, um <laughs> look i want to say also that the fund we're running is extremely small and really is still in the very, very early stages and we, we will not turn into a real business for at least three to five years from now. Um, and I just want to state that because it's not like we're some, we've reached any sort of mountaintop. We still want to keep learning day by day. And it's not like just because we've been doing this for five years, we're experts within the industry at all. But personally, I have not seen many people say that we're too young to do something like this to our face. I think people say something. They think it. They probably think it, <laughs> and I, I, um, but I'm sure some people hold that against us, which we're okay with. I mean, it's something you know we're young, and it's kind of part of the process. And I do remember, funny enough, one time meeting someone in person who did not know what we looked like. Maybe they had listened to the show for a long time, and they got one of those strange, surprised looks on their face, like, "Oh, that's that's who you've been listening, or that's who I've been listening to." And maybe that's a compliment because they thought we were older than we are. So maybe we sound, you know, more experienced than we actually are. Um, But again, it's probably a good thing that people are discounting us because of our age, because you should discount people in their 20s. And if that's a headwind for us right now, that's fine, because we should have that headwind. People should be saying, hey, look, you know, these guys are unestablished. Let's maybe let them get their feet wet for a few years. But in the long run, that problem will solve itself where we haven't solved we age just like everyone else so i yeah i don't think i think any skepticism we've got is healthy skepticism um it's not like people aren't like talking down to us because of our age or anything like that it's probably more like people that have passed on investing in us or or something like that it's more 
I think based around just probably thinking we have lack of experience, um, which I mean, it's, it's we true. try to read and we try to read and learn about, you know, investing through different cycles, but I think living through them gives you a different, like, um, it gives you a different approach to, to investing in kind of the next one. Um, cause it actually impacts your, your P and L. Um, but it, I, I don't think anyone's been like extremely critical over our, our ages or anything like that. Maybe, maybe people, yeah, like Brett said, when they figure out who they've been listening to, they're like, Oh gosh been listening to a bunch of kids or something like that <laughs> yeah it doesn't help that we can't grow good facial hair that would be a plus we could age ourselves up by about 10 years if we could but both our beards um are i not, think you're you you're know. being hard on yourselves you know you have if nature goes to plan you have the greatest resource that everybody wishes for which is a long runway ahead and that's the single ingredient that that differentiates a good investors from outstanding investors so the fact that you're starting now that you have a fun now uh that you have a podcast now and you have a loyal listenership now is just incredible so uh, hats off to you both for that thank you um, yeah i think we're, we're that well done on being excited. young congratulations yeah, <laughs> yeah no but job. given given that perspective it does get us excited about what we can do over a long period of time and sometimes i guess anyone listening you know when you're investing especially through years like 2022 there's going to be plateaus but you really have to focus because human nature is to think so short term and we really want to do mm. that. You got to just be deliberate with yourself. All right. What are my goals over like the next, you know, five or 10 years and how am I setting myself up to succeed today because of that, regardless of whether 2022 doesn't look like you made any progress. Well, you can realistically have a 40 year vision for yeah. your personal investment and that's just wonderful. So, as I said, congrats on that. Um, guys, I'm going to hit you with a question before we wrap up. And it's one that I usually throw at our guests when they're on the podcast here. And it is this. If you could buy and hold only five stocks for the rest of your lives, what would you choose and why? And we'll just not five each. I, you're going to have to collaborate here live. We did decide to split it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, go. We, we, we We're not going to pass judgment. We're not going to pass judgment. Mike and I are going to have a poker face. So you could say whatever you want and we're just going to go, I see. Okay. Over to you. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, we, we did. Uh, you guys set the question over before. And so we, we prepped a little bit. I'll, I'll go first and maybe Brett, we can alternate after that. Um, uh, one company that we like, uh, well, first of all, I'd say if, if, if you're betting on something to hold it forever, you probably want to trust management. Um, and so uh, a company I like is Nelnet. It's probably the smallest business of the five we'll talk about. Um, and it's uh, it's a Lincoln, uh, Nebraska-based company that essentially we think about it almost like maybe a mini Berkshire Hathaway. We're basically betting on the capital allocation skills of the manager. They have a really good track record. Um, they've diversified their business over the last couple of years and kind of um, to... Just to give the short spiel, uh, they they had a long uh, a big book of student loans that that is since in kind of runoff since that was taken under um, taken under the federal government they they can't issue them anymore so it's been running off and it's given them cash flow to kind of reinvest into other areas and they've done a really good job uh, in my opinion diversifying that and, and we we believe that they can continue to invest uh, at rates similar to their track record and. Uh, they also seem honest, which is a huge thing. I think if you're pairing your capital with someone forever, so uh, Nelnet. 
Nice. Number two. You want me to go, Ryan? I'll push yeah. up. Okay, okay. So I'm actually going to push back on the management part and say that if you're going to coffee can something with a 40-year time horizon, I think it is tough to bet on management because you don't know whether they're going to be gone in five years. Now, looking at now that they'll probably still be there 20 years from now, but life happens and that, that stuff's tough. So I wanted yeah. something. So so with that in mind, we're going for Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, you can guess my choice is not going to be Berkshire Hathaway, but I really wanted to look at this from, and you can look at this question in a few different ways with something that has the highest chance of paying you back positive inflation adjusted returns 40 years from now, regardless of what the global economy does or got regardless of how bad a management team gets picked 10 years from now or something like that. So my first one is going to be Hershey. I think it would be very, very difficult to mess up that business. Yeah. The multiples of some of the CPG companies are high today, but over the long term, I think it's pretty difficult for them to not have incremental, at least, at least inflation and probably inflation plus pricing power on both their candy and snack foods. And yeah, I think that makes it, a boring pick, but mm. one that I would no, be very No, chocolate is never boring. Chocolate <laughs> yeah. is never boring. But it yeah. is actually, have you tried Hershey's chocolate? Come on, please. Oh, yeah. I, like I, I guess, yeah. In America, it's, <laughs> it's uh, I, I forget that internationally no one likes it. And yeah, it's not really that good, but it's, it's almost, that's actually a positive for the business because it's so bad. But it's such a, it's so ingrained into the American culture with s'mores and all that stuff that yeah no one is going to replicate the taste it's almost like a mcdonald's smell you know if you get what i mean it yeah that same exact thing yeah. but they also own reese's peanut butter cups which oh, yeah. are usually That's ranked right. as the yeah. number one candy in the world so. right yeah, yeah yeah for sure okay i like, no, I, I like I how that go. didn't didn't come into your in- investment thesis or you're like oh, i forgot nobody <laughs> likes it <laughs> yeah they forgot that the chocolate <laughs> tastes bad hey that hasn't held them back yet so i don't think <laughs> i don't think it's gonna matter <laughs> Okay, right, so we've now met and we've Hershey. What's next, guys? Yeah, I guess maybe I should have adopted Brett's approach because I think Hershey's has been around for more than 100 years. Mm. And, if, and if you're betting on companies to be around 40 years, I think having them have such a long track record is usually a sign that uh, you know, they'll continue to be around. But I'm going to go another route. I'm going to go with Amazon, a little-known company. Um, but I, I think I think they have a really strong moat which moat's obviously mm-hmm. uh, a huge characteristic that you're looking for if you're and what do they do I'm they, you know they, they sell some items <laughs> they, they do sell books. some they have a items <laughs> over the the interweb um yeah and no, i i i would just it feels like kind of over their history which is what 27 years now so not not that long but over their history they have consistently sort of sacrificed short term profits or, or margins for deepening their advantage and providing more value to customers. And I think you can see that reflected in their fulfillment network now. They've poured so much money and CapEx into that fulfillment network and that it's probably irritated some investors along the way, but now no one can replicate their speed of delivery, really, um, especially here in the US. But mm, um, yeah. I, I think it's just, it, it, it's given them uh, a much longer runway for the future because they've been willing to sacrifice the short term over their history. Yep, totally. I mean, no fund manager ever got fired for investing in Amazon, and probably never will. That is uh that is good. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, my 
fourth one, or my second one, the fourth one in ours, is going to be similar to Hershey, and that is PepsiCo. And it's kind of under the mm-hmm. same framework that I used, where regardless of the management, regardless of the economy, I think you get positive returns through dividends over the long term. And, uh, you know, what's funny is that Coca-Cola is very popular as an investment, and the returns have been phenomenal over the long term. And everyone talks about the Buffett investment, which is just, you know, one of the best investments ever, given the size. But Pepsi's actually outperformed it since, I believe, Buffett invested, or maybe over the last 20 years. But I think over the last 40 years, Pepsi goes outperformed. And it's not just Pepsi. They also own Gatorade, the leading sports drink provider, and Lay's, or Frito-Lay, which is the number one, I believe, number one snack food brand. And I just think those are very durable, again, inflation protected, and it would be very hard. You know, you might not, it might not be a hundred bagger, but it'd be very hard inflation adjusted again to, I think, lose money. You're going to get that returns through dividends over the next 40 years. And yeah, it's not going to be life changing, but I think for wealth preservation that this is one of the safest stocks you could ever own. Mm. Yeah. I'm a you're, giving an, you're giving us an insight into your diet here, Brett. Yeah, actually, what's funny is I'm actually a health freak, and I eat like salads every day. And I never eat candy or have it maybe, in the house. So maybe I, that's it. It's like forbidden fruit. You're exactly. Like, you don't, don't get high on your own supply. Exactly. But you invest in it. Yeah, let me guess. Like the next that. one is um, Twinkies. Chipotle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Chipotle and Dunkin' Donuts. All right, hit me with number five, guys. What have you got? Yeah, last one. Uh, and this is maybe the most or at least as of late, the most controversial of the five. Uh, I'm going to go with Alphabet or Google. Um, it, And I know it's it's kind of come under fire lately with all the AI um, investments from Microsoft, but Google for me has, and I think some, I forget where I heard this term, but it's kind of a toll road on the world's information. Um, and despite, there have been a number of boat tests in the past um uh and ai i think is kind of just one of them um or maybe this chat gpt stuff specifically where uh people have said oh this is going to kill google and and all along uh they've continued to kind of grow share and, and the the premier place for people to kind of start their start their day on the online or on on the internet so uh i think they're going to continue to do that um then it, it kind of helps that they've diversified in some ways with, with Google Cloud. And uh, I, I think YouTube's a, a wonderful asset that gets better every mm-hmm. every video someone adds to it. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say they've got a number of properties that I, that I really like. Wonderful. So that is a great coffee can portfolio. Nelmet, Hershey, Amazon, PepsiCo and Alphabet. And I don't think any of our listeners would argue uh, that that's not a safe and probably very prosperous way to divest your savings and your hard-earned money I hope so, so gentlemen over to you mike no i was just gonna say that's it for today's show thanks a million for coming into us ryan and brett it's been an absolute pleasure uh for anyone interested chit chat money find them Substack and across any podcast network and then remember if you have any questions you like answered or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle make sure to get in touch you can find us on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us, and don't forget to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll talk to you next week.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 